Good morning and welcome to the Retail Strategies webinar series. We are so excited to be with you today. Thank you all so much for logging in, carving out a minute of your precious time to be with us to talk about open for business, getting retail ready. Now, in a parallel universe right now, uh, the majority of us, our, our team, and, and probably several of you on this call, would be in Las Vegas right now, maybe even on the convention floor, you know, and we really miss our friends. We miss our clients and our friends and, and the entire recon experience that ICSC offers to us. So in lieu of recon, what we wanted to do at Retail Strategies was still connect with you and let's just talk about some refreshers, best practices in retail recruitment, what we're looking at now in our current disruptive time, and how we can best prepare for our future as we start to look at getting back open for business and what does the future of our retail base look like. So we're excited to have several of our team members on the call here today as panelists. I'm Lacey Beasley, I'm the president of Retail Strategies, and I'm gonna hit a hot, quick highlight of data and analytics, and then at the end of this, wrap up with some conference outlook. It's also my pleasure to introduce to you Matthew, Matthew Petro, he's the Chief Development Officer at Retail Strategies, and he's gonna talk about prospects and timeline, which is so important. Our prospects that we've had in the past are really changing as certain businesses are looking to expand and others are looking to close. He's gonna walk you through some of those best practices about identifying the prospects that are best for your community. And what Matt does at Retail Strategies is he listens to communities. And they express to us what they need in the world of retail recruitment, building their retail base. And then he works with our team of professionals to develop those solutions and then inform communities of the solutions we have for them to lock arms and work with communities to help build our communities and our retail base. So Matt Petro was also named the 2018 Rising Star in Commercial Real Estate through the Birmingham Business Journal. He is a graduate of University of Alabama. He's spoken at dozens of events, including the National League of Cities. So Matt's going to hit on the prospects and the timeline. We also have Scott Von Cannon. He's our Chief Development, um, excuse me, our COO. Chief Operations Officer, and Scott is going to talk to us about real estate. There are universal site metrics that make real estate very, very appealing, but again, in this very disruptive time, real estate is going to change a lot. So we're going to see that over the next really 12 to 24 months, we're going to see a lot of changes with that real estate. So what makes retail real estate a good site that helps those retailers maximize their sales and profitability? Those basics stay the same, but there's a lot of changes with those ownerships, and Scott's going to be going over the real estate with us. So he's worked with communities. He comes to Birmingham from Nashville, where he worked with several communities and economic development agencies on putting together their marketing uh, strategies for their future. And in 2013, he received his real estate license. 2019, he was pinned at CCIM, and for those of you that don't know, that is a very elite professional designation within commercial real estate. It's hard to get, and, and Scott did go through that process and is a CCIM professional. He's on the 
Economic Development Association of Alabama Retail Committee, the ICSC, P3, Public-Private Partnership Co-Chair for Alabama and Mississippi, and heavily involved in Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And Scott's a graduate of Auburn University, so he will be going over the real estate with us. And then we have Jennifer Gregory. She goes by Jen Gregory. She's the president of Downtown Strategies. And Jen has over 10 years of experience in working in downtown revitalization. She was the CEO of the Greater Start Gold Development Partnership. She was named the top 50 under 40 for the Mississippi Business Journal. And what Jen does is work with our communities and solutions for their downtown, looking at market analysis, tourism, economic vitality, and design. So it's that full breakdown of how do you get your downtown ready to attract those businesses. And as we all know, small businesses are on the forefront of the challenges that we're seeing in stabilizing our economy right now. So Jim's gonna talk about small business support and some guidelines for reopening and things along those lines. So we have that's Jen Gregory, the president of Downtown Strategies. So just as a recap, the five things that we'll be covering is data and analytics, we're going to talk about defining your business prospects, the real estate side of that, small business support, and a conference outlook, and then our solutions. So let's get started and just go with a big picture overview of what's happening right now. It is complicated. And I'll tell you, every morning for the last couple of weeks, I wake up and I think about this Charles Darwin quote, it's not the strongest of the species that survives nor the most intelligent that survives. It's the one most adaptable to change. And that is so true for all of us right now. There's so much happening in our world, in our society, and there's a lot of uncertainty in our future. And we can make a lot of predictions about where things will go. But all we know is we have to do our best to educate ourselves on the realities of today and prepare for our future. So what are a few things that we're really focused on that we're seeing in commercial real estate that will make a difference for our future? Number one is timeline. Timeline's unknown right now. We aren't exactly sure how long it will be until we have a vaccine, till we get back to our new normal of, our new version of normal. We don't know what that timeline is looking like. So where we very much wanna plan for the future, be thinking in that futuristic mindset, and be looking for those trigger points that will help us that we're already preparing for right now. And that's what today is about, is helping you think long-term about preparing for your future. Now, a lot of these businesses, it all depends on how they were capitalized. How much money do they have? Cash is king right now. So it's very difficult to just generalize entire categories. The times we're in right now, very different from the Great Recession where everything dropped. Right now, some categories of retail are doing much better than other categories. And it really depends on the specific brand and their financial backing that they had as to how they will survive what our current pandemic. It also depends on congressional relief. So we've seen Congress act quickly and bipartisan passing the CARES Act and replenishing those funds that have helped our small businesses, our independent contractors, our communities. And that will continue to play a huge part in our recovery as we work to stabilize the communities and our businesses. So then we need to look at operations. So as a business, what are you doing right now 
to change and improve your business to meet your consumer where they're at, to remain profitable. We are all forced to incorporate new aspects of our operations. A lot of this is online-based. A lot of retail brands need to figure out how they can stay connected to their customer by keeping that experience alive with them. So what are they doing through social media? Are they are in their customer loyalty programs? Are they providing education? Home Chef is a great thing that we've seen where a lot of these restaurants have meal kits you can take home and then they'll pair it with a video so you can learn how to cook that at home or even cocktail kits that are along those lines. There's an example in Birmingham of bare wax candles where you can do a candle making kit and take it home. And it comes with that video. So you stay connected with your consumer, even though it might be a challenge right now for them to come into your storefront. What are you doing to change your operations? Get your online presence really ramped up. Look at curbside pickup and delivery and those things. And all those strong business practices you have now will carry into the future as we continue to evolve and adapt to change per Charles Darwin, right? So we're looking at those operations and there's also the very thoughtful risk mitigation and, and consumer confidence that you give your clients when they come into your business. What are you doing to make them feel safe that, you're, that they can shop in your store, um, that there's hand sanitizer, that there's masks, things along those lines. So that's where operations really need to change with the businesses and then real estate. And, and Scott will really take a deeper dive on the real estate side, but you know, there's, there's going to be some vacancies. It is the reality of our future. Businesses will close and it's going to free up some vacancies for new businesses to come in and replace that space with potentially a higher and better user. Um, so there's a lot of disruption and change with real estate as well. So businesses need to look at how they're capitalized, how they're changing their operations, and then even use this as an opportunity to potentially relocate or expand in markets that they've been wanting to open in in the past that have not been able to penetrate the market because the real estate was not available. Uh, so it's more important than ever to have a really good business recruitment plan right now because there's so much that is going on and to have those right relationships with the people, know what you're doing so that when something triggers, you already have your plan in place and you can act quickly on those events. So just a high level, I can easily spend more than an hour just talking about data and analytics. So I wanted to really just boil it down to two things that really matter right now and into your future. One, this is a great resource that we use very frequently. It is free and kudos to Placer AI for creating this. So just go to Placer AI, um, Placer.ai backslash COVID-19 backslash, and it will take you to their retail impact tracker. And it's mobile tracking data. They have geofenced several different national retailers, and they're showing the number of trips that have gone up or down per each brand, per each region. So you can see where there's a drop down for regions and you can pick the state that you're in, you can pick the retailers that are within your community and just really analyze and they update this about every three to four days. So it helps you with some future predictions of what you might be looking at for sales tax or businesses that are most at risk. So we highly encourage you to use this retail impact tracker 
from Placer AI and take a look at that just to be more informed about the foot traffic. Now, just so you know, foot traffic does not always have a direct correlation with sales. So there are a lot of places like Costco or Walmart where people are going less frequently, but they're buying three times more. So where sales can be up in certain brands, their trips can be down. Now, if you look at restaurant across the board, for instance, you know, it really varies about the type of restaurant. Sonic is killing it right now. They're doing a great job because of the type of real estate that they have. So you can't say all restaurants are down. Now, the chef-driven concepts are um, far more challenged right now or those that didn't have curbside or pickup or delivery. So, again, it's complicated. You have to educate yourself on a case-by-case -case basis for each brand and each community as you look to reopen and who might be at risk and who might be thriving. So let's look at our gap analysis. This is essentially the way of taking a particular geography. And for all of you that are on the call today, you will receive this gap analysis after our webinar today for your specific community. And we will be doing that on a drive time for you. So if you look within that drive time, the way you do a retail gap analysis or a leakage, retail leakage report is also another way of looking at it is you look at all of the businesses that are within that 20-minute drive time, and you look annually at what they collected in sales. Then you look at all the rooftops that are within that drive time and what those individual households spent for each category. So then you essentially just cross-reference those, break it down category by category, where you have either a surplus or a leakage in that category. So if you have a retail leakage in the category, it means that the consumers that live within that drive time do not have the goods and services locally to fulfill all their needs. So they are leaving that geography to find those things outside of their own backyard. So what we, the way we use this is we look at particular categories where you have retail leakage and it helps give us a focus for the future on the categories that make sense for recruitment. And as I mentioned earlier, why does this matter? Oh, during, excuse me, this time of disruption, then we need to look at those categories that previously had leakage prior to COVID-19 and our pandemic and really put a targeted focus on them for our future recruitment plan as the real estate changes. We also have a peer analysis. You can look at your community in comparison with other communities of similar size and makeup and look at, on average, per each category, how many brands that they have in that category and how many brands you have in that category. And it helps give you a unit count. So the gap analysis gives you a category for focus. And then the peer analysis gives you a specific number of business that you could look to recruit and add to be on par with your peer communities. So that is just a high level overview of some analysis we're looking at right now. And you will receive this after this report. Obviously there's far more to it, but those are the two that we wanted to focus on for the sake of the call today. And I wanna go ahead and move forward and let's shift over to Matt Petro, who's going to go over the prospects and the timeline. I'll turn it over to you, Matt. Thank you, Lacey, and thank you everybody for being on the webinar here today. So what I'm going to do is walk you through how to build a prospect list for your community and the timeline that it takes for a retailer to enter into your market. So everyone on this call had needs in, uh, for goods and services before this crisis, and those needs have either been broadened or heightened due to this virus. 
So before I get into how to develop that list, let's look at the crisis and how it's impacted retail categories. So from a COVID resistant perspective, grocery is a clear resistant category here. We are primarily eating in and uh, groceries have fared well because of that. So, Matt, uh, internet just went down. Oh, are you back? My, my, my internet's having uh, issues. Lacey, do you mind picking up? Got it. And no problem. So, the categories that we have, we have, we have COVID-19 resistant categories. So, if you look at grocery stores, then a lot of us, like myself, I am learning how to cook for the first time, and it's just awesome. So, where I used to spend a lot of a lot more on eating out. Now I'm spending more in grocery stores. So uh, my personal budget has done a complete reverse on groceries. So groceries doing well right now. General merchandise is doing great. We're looking at Dollar General, Family Dollar, Walmart. All those brands are really doing just really the sales month over month and for this quarter are increasing. Now if you look at home and garden and building, that's we all have our home projects we're at home we're less busy than we used to be so Lowe's and Home Depot for instance their sales are far up and if any of you have have tried to go buy all your lawn garden and your home products then you know that this is true and also pet supply I mean we still love our pets they are their beloved children right so we love to spoil them during this time and as we're getting creative with our forms of entertainment it's more outdoors and spoiling our pets now some of the categories that are struggling you go into restaurants and obviously with their storefronts closed, they had to have a really strong delivery pickup or drive-through option. And these again are best practices they can carry into the future as we they were forced to close their doors in April and they're starting to reopen right now with a small percentage and it's very state by state, but 25%, 33%, 50% occupancy. Obviously that has a substantial impact on their sales and restaurants are the most challenged currently to figure out their future operations. Now clothing and accessories, this was the category hit the hardest, down 80 to 90%. So uh, I don't know about any of you, but it's been kind of fun working from home actually and, and uh, wearing my stretchy pants every day. But um, as we start to get back out, offices reopen, we suspect there's going to be a lot of pent up demand in this category and people will be going out and replenishing their clothes and their accessories and things along those lines because they'll have reason to get dressed up again. So very challenged. Um, now on furniture, um furniture what we have is just you know obviously i think it's just been not a good time for furniture but we also predict that you'll see an uptick in furniture towards the end of the year as people start to host more of their house parties and and that's what we're recognizing is getting out and the dining experience isn't quite the same by the new safety standards that the businesses have to adhere to so we think a lot of more people are going to do home hosting and and so what we estimate towards the end of the year furniture will go up but that would hit pretty hard right now obviously sporting goods with all those events canceled as a challenge and gas stations we were not getting out and traveling so those are the struggling categories as it stands right now now how to create your prospect list 
I mean, reviewing your needs is so important when you're looking at your prospect list. So it goes back to that gap analysis where you're looking at what are those categories of leakage and then what do you have as a gut intuition about those needs. And then identifying expanding businesses. Keep up with the news. We're seeing several businesses that are filing Chapter 11 right now, but they might actually be restructuring in some way, shape, or form. And it gets back to how they're capitalized. There are businesses expanding what we found at Retail Strategies and our prospecting is that a lot of those developers, real estate managers, the franchisees, they are so focused because they have limited their travel and they're sitting behind a computer. So a lot of people have been spending this time preparing for their future growth strategies and they're ready. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that still want to get out there and expand, but you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. And we're monitoring that very closely at Retail Strategies. We encourage you to do the same. Now, matching up your real estate with the prospect criteria is so important. And this is what Scott's going to really hit on is that real estate. So each retailer is going to have what they require with their demographics and then what they require with their, um, what they need to be profitable. So it's the size of their real estate and then all those um, things such as their, it's the traffic, the signage, the access point, their code tenancy. I mean, all these things really break down. And if you have all those things, you match the, the demographics, then you match the real estate, you can prove they can be profitable in your community, then that's a great time to strike. Um, now, we encourage developing a target list of the retailers you want, looking at their site selection criteria, uh, which we find from a variety of different resources, um, and then also developing that spreadsheet. So a lot of them will say, no, not right now, but maybe in the future. And so it's, it's just a quarterly follow-up with them. You just keep top of mind for them. So when their expansion plans change, then you're there. You make it easy on them because they know everything there is to know about your community and about your real estate. And then you really want to create buy-in in working with these these real estate, these business prospects, creating buy-in, telling them what's awesome about your community, the things that are growing, what is the stability. If they're making a 10-year, multi-million dollar investment, they want to know that they, you are reducing their risk because you have a strong industrial base, you have a strong school system, you have a strong residential growth. So looking at all the economic vitality and incorporating that and buy-in, and so when they're ready to strike, they can in the future, and engaging them. And remember, when you're prospecting, these are people that like personal relationships. It's very much a relationship-based industry, so um, we really encourage building those relationships in any way that you can. So in reviewing your needs, I mean, really look at all those things that I just discussed. I mean, you want to look at who's thriving currently per each category. It really helps if you know the businesses that are local, that are operating above average in annual sales volume. If you know your Walmart's average sales volume annually, that's a great stat to know. It's hard to get. It's really difficult. But if you can prove that Walmart's doing well or the restaurant category specifically, uh, store by store, what they're doing in sales volume, then that helps you make a case for the brands that you're trying to recruit into the market because it shows that demand. And then you want to prove quality of life as well to ensure that long-term um, investment that they are making. So let's go ahead and talk about the next part, which is identifying 
expanding businesses. Now, we have a lot of resources on the Retail Strategies website. Encourage all of you to go in there and dig. We're in a world of information overload right now. I know you're pinged with resources all day, every day. And that's a part of our follow-up call that it will be after this. We just want to hear from you. What do you need and what can we supply to you? But meanwhile, if you want to dig around on our website, what we have, this is an example of the top 200 restaurants. And you can see what their average annual sales volume is and what that might mean to you on average and sales tax collection. So you can just apply the math. And what's so awesome about retail restaurants and with the space that we work in is if you are sales tax heavy driven state, it pays you back. It's an investment that has an ROI. It makes sense. And you can see something as small as one new fast food restaurant can create a, such a positive impact on your community. It's also the job, it's the property tax, and it's the quality of life that retail brings to your region. And success breeds success. Retailers really like to cluster together. So identifying those expanding businesses by who's done well in the past is so important. And you can see this on the top 200 restaurants. This is Nation's Restaurant News Report, and they go through last year all the publicly traded companies and those that are rocking. So also looking at NationNet, we talked about this, and, and as I mentioned, Scott's going to take a much deeper dive into each of these universal site metrics, but it's so important to match up the prospects with the real estate, know the real the ownership of those real estate um, owners, who owns it, what is their personal story, and how do you incorporate it. Um, there's a lot of changes that are happening right now, so knowing the individual owner and what's happening with them in their life really matters. And then we will share with you again after this webinar, we're going to share with you a spreadsheet as a template so you can build your prospect list and keep up with it because there's a, a lot of disruption, a lot of change, and individuals and their players will change as well. And that's what we've found is we develop relationships with the real estate managers and, you know, they might only be at that particular brand for three to four years and then they go to the next brand. And so there's that constant shift and this is a marathon, not a sprint. So these are long-term deals. You want to plant seeds now for, for real estate and prospects that might happen two years to five years from now. So keeping up with that spreadsheet and the communication you have and the notes on it is really important. So when you're reaching out to them, you want to first identify the next closest location that that brand has, right? And then the real estate and the demographics. So it's putting all that together and understanding the ownership of all the players involved. And then with creating buy-in, then looking at your key stakeholders, your elected officials, and helping them understand that this is a marathon, not a sprint. It is a long-term process that we have in place. And we understand every community in this world would love to have a Chick-fil-A and a Trader Joe's. Unfortunately, they can't be profitable if they opened in every community in the world. So it's really matching up who are the brands that can be profitable and really targeting your time and attention on the realistic prospects that are good match for you that can expand and open in the future and be successful. You really want to target those for sustainability. So that's really important to think about. So I've referenced Scott several times about the real estate changes. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, Scott, and tell us about what we can expect to see and what matters in real estate. All right. Well, thank you, Lacey. Appreciate the intro. Um, like Lacey mentioned, I'm going to talk about the changes that we're seeing and probably more importantly that we forecast will uh, come about in the next um, 
12 to 36 months. Obviously, this pandemic has had major um, implications to the real estate and um, everything that's involved from how tenants look at real estate to shopping centers and so on. So I'm going to go through these one by one. There we go. Um, obviously, drive-through is kind of the most common sense uh, feature out there that uh, is becoming more and more valuable every day. Uh, the, the retailers that already have drive-throughs as part of their real estate, they, they understand the value and the kind of revenue that drive-throughs uh, give you the ability to bring into your business. Uh, and now they're just becoming more valuable uh, than ever. Um, you know, demand is what one concern that we have is that the demand for these drive-through sites and, and end caps on the strip centers uh, that, that have that drive-through, the demand will overtake the supply uh, of these sites. So we could see a price surge in some of these quick service restaurants or fast food sites and or uh, the end caps uh, on strip centers that do have that drive-through. Obviously, they're going to be, they are in high demand. They will continue to be in high demand. There are more and more brands that uh, did maybe not, did not consider drive-through before this pandemic, and now they're almost making it a requirement for new store growth. Uh, so that's putting a lot of pressure on that very niche specific portion of retail real estate. So again, your your demand is going to increase uh, and, and your supply is obviously going to dwindle as well. And this could also certainly hurt the economics uh, of these multi-tenant uh, development strips. So in the last five to six years, the majority of retail development uh, has occurred in single tenant and multi-tenant strip developments. Of course, there has been shopping center development and so on, but more of the growth has been in the smaller footprint type developments. And so a lot of you have probably seen a lot of these strip developments uh, come out of the ground, typically consisting of anywhere between two retailers to you know, maybe seven or eight retailers in a strip center that contains somewhere between five and 15, 16,000 square feet. So we've seen a lot of that growth, a lot of that development, and, and what's typical in these type of developments uh, are two end caps, usually just one consisting of a drive-through. In some cases where the real estate and the dynamics make sense, uh, these developers have the ability to incorporate two drive-throughs, but the majority of them just do have one drive-through location. Uh, the economics on these type of developments are probably gonna take a hit, again, due to the demand on everyone wanting to be on that end cap and the demand is going to dwindle on some of these inline, you know, more center type spaces. So I'll give you an example. We were just working on a deal in the last few weeks uh, where we had multiple retailers on a strip center development. We had a coffee user uh, that had planned to take the end cap space and we had a burger user, I'll just say who it's Highway 55 Burgers, who was planning on taking an interior space of about 2,800 square feet. When this COVID-19 hit, uh, their strategy has now changed and they are now only looking at sites that can accommodate a drive-through. So now that 2,800 square foot space, Highway 55 will not accommodate that space, again, unless it has a drive-through. So that's a tenant that was lost in that development that could totally uh, crash that development uh, as it is. So it's gonna certainly hurt the pro forma. You've got too many folks are gonna be interested in one small space and not enough folks interested uh, in the other inline spaces as well. Uh, curbside pickup is certainly changing the landscape of parking lots within these shopping centers. We'll, we'll give an example 
uh, about that as well. You've probably seen the emergence of curbside pickups and and retail brands such as Lowe's and Home Depot, Walmart Super Centers, uh, even Chick-fil-A. Uh, you're going to see uh, that really increase in popularity. And again, how is that going to change on the real estate side, uh, the parking lots and, and how those are laid out? Keep in mind, most of these retailers do have a number of parking requirements uh, when they enter a parking lot. And again, these curbside spaces will be eating into uh, those, those parking lot spaces. Uh, outdoor space equals healthy. So obviously more and more of these restaurants are looking for uh, retail space with patio. Uh, there's obviously a psychological factor and a health factor, generally speaking, that you know if you're eating outside, you're not in a confined uh, closed air space. And so uh, the popularity of real estate with patio and outdoor space is certainly uh, going to heighten uh, demand for space such as that. Uh, and then what are the economics of spreading out these dining areas? How is that going to affect some of these retailers? Obviously, again, it depends on uh, state by state, but there are a lot of mandates that are only allowing certain restaurants to operate at a 50 or maybe a 60% capacity. So clearly these restaurants are having to space out their patrons and they're not allowing, they're not able to cram in uh, all of their customers uh, in a space. So that's clearly going to damage the economics of that business not able to run at full capacity. So a couple examples, and I alluded to a few of these in the previous slide. Um, I'm going to give one from the landlord perspective, a tenant exam perspective, and a municipal perspective. So these are just some things that we have seen that have occurred again due to COVID-19 and some changes that have come about. Uh, Kimco, which is one of the largest national real estate investment trusts, in the U.S., uh, they have announced they're retrofitting all of their shopping centers with dedica dedicated curbside pickup areas. Uh, these curbside spots are for all the retailers, not just the restaurants and not just some of the anchor tenants, but all of the retailers within their shopping centers have the ability uh, to obtain some of these curbside uh, parking spaces. So uh, they average or they're predicting that the average center is going to have about 60 dedicated curbside spaces. So again, you got to think what kind of effect that's going to have to the parking, to the traffic flow, uh, to the spaces that are allocated to the other tenants within the shopping center, and so on. Now, from the tenant side or the retailer side, uh, Shake Shack has announced that they're going to immediately begin retrofitting all of their locations with, with what they're calling Shake Tracks uh, where possible. Uh, that's essentially a, a drive-up window that allows their customers to order through their app and then drive through, and it's basically a pickup window, not necessarily a drive through. Uh, so they're trying to retrofit the uh, existing locations. And again, you got to keep you got to keep in mind their future locations. You you will see Shake Shack and some kind of higher end uh, lifestyle type shopping centers that might have restrictions on drive through or pickup windows. And, and again, Shake Shack is is currently transitioning their 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 strategy to where they're almost making this a requirement that they have a pickup window. So that's going to certainly affect the type of locations they can enter into and, and again, their existing locations as well. Chipotle is another example. They've really uh, titled theirs Chipotle Lanes that, again, gives you the order head drive through uh, for their locations. Now, on the city side, we've seen a lot of our clients uh, come up with some really unique strategies to help out their local businesses while also trying to stay safe. Uh, some examples that, again, you can just Google, Google Mobile, Alabama, Stewart, Florida, Tampa, Florida, and others. 
Uh, a lot of them have actually shut down uh, certain streets in their main street or their downtown area, and they've shut it down for automobiles, only allowing pedestrian access. And what's that? what that's doing, it's really creating a quality of place in their town downtown while also allowing the restaurants and the retailers to pull out tables uh, for the patrons to dine in and even allowing retailers to pull out some of their products, um, you know, such as clothing and so on under tent so people can shop in an open air atmosphere. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of our clients and municipalities become a little more lenient on codes and regulations, uh, such as this example right here, again, to kind of think outside of the box to help business owners and also create a safe environment uh, for their citizens to shop within their community uh, as well. Um, so again, this is just an example, kind of more the, the European uh, idea here uh, of dining out in the streets, dining outside. Uh, so this might be a trend that you could see in more and more communities across the country. Now, what doesn't change is good sites. So, you know, good real estate or what we call home run real estate will continue to be the same. There will pro probably be some added layers that will be added to that, but signage and visibility continues to be very important, as does parking, although we talked about a lot of changes that are happening and will continue to occur uh, within uh, retail shopping centers. Access is always important and will probably become even more important uh, as drive-through and curbside pickup uh, is becoming a, a, a larger item within the retail world. Uh, code Tennessee will most likely become, continue to be as important as it ever has been. And traffic patterns certainly will change as we might see more people working from home. Therefore, there's less cars on the road, less cars on uh, main thoroughfare. So we see and forecast some, some changes on the traffic side as well. Uh, this, uh, the four Ds of real estate is uh, a topic that we talk about a lot, usually in a lighthearted way, um, and, and certainly don't want to come off as, as morbid in uh, the middle of uh, a national pandemic and a tragedy that, that we're in right now. But uh, these four Ds of real estate uh, is something we refer to when you will see a change in real estate, whether it's change in the ownership of real estate or changing in the perspective uh, from the ownership and real estate. So obviously, as you can see, that's death, divorce, desperation, and disaster. When one or multiple of these categories occur to a property owner or maybe an institution, you typically will see some type of change uh, in the ownership or maybe pricing structure. What we see right now are basically essentially all four of these happening at once. So we could certainly forecast that there's gonna be a lot of change from the ownership perspective, uh, again, trying to keep this lighthearted, but, but obviously with COVID-19 and the direct impact and indirect impact as well, uh, you, you are seeing in some areas the death, death rate spike, uh, divorce, <laughs> uh, not, not trying to, again, be, be too serious, but obviously everyone's cramped up in the house with their family and everyone's uh, pulling their hair out, uh, just, just trying to uh, stay sane through this process. So, Divorce rates have, have been reported that uh, they are anticipating a spike there. Desperation, obviously, unemployment levels uh, at an all-time high right now, so definitely desperate times. And we're in the middle of a national, uh, national disaster uh, with COVID-19. So clearly anticipation of changes in real estate, maybe pricing. We haven't seen a lot of price changes yet, um, but that could certainly be something that we see down the road in the near future. Uh, and then some trends that we're seeing out there as well. So 
uh, it will become uh, even more so a tenant's market uh, with less expansion retail wide uh, that, that is currently occurring and uh, less real estate uh, uh, and, and, and more real estate opportunities. Obviously, you are going to see more spaces opening up because we have seen more national retailers announce bankruptcies and announce closures that opens up space for new retail. Um, but again, less retail is expanding, less retail is growing. So that is putting the cards in the hand of the tenants in the hand of the retailers when it comes to a negotiation between retailer and landlord. So we expect the landlords will be forced to be in a position to give more concessions to the tenant, be in a position to potentially have to lower their prices because they're kind of pushed into a corner. Uh, we're also seeing uh, more and more restaurants testing the idea of ghost kitchens as human-human interaction is being examined. Um, so you're, you're seeing that in the news a lot. You're seeing a lot of these national restaurant retail, or more restaurant brands testing out these ghost kitchens as we're seeing a spike in curbside pickup, uh, really allowing these other brands such as Grubhub and Uber Eats and DoorDash being able to go directly to their ghost kitchen as opposed to their brick and mortar uh, retail location to get the food and deliver it directly to the customer. And what is this gonna to do to the footprint of restaurants? Are they gonna downsize? Are some of them gonna grow? From the downsizing perspective, uh, clearly right now we're seeing a lack of demand for people to dine in and obviously even a restriction uh, for customers to have the ability to dine in at restaurants. So will some of these full service restaurants actually shrink uh, their footprint knowing that the need and the demand to actually dine in uh, would potentially or potentially is decreasing and or uh, will retailers look or will restaurants look to grow their footprint uh, due to the need to space out to to keep six feet between the booths and, uh, and the tables and the, the chairs within the restaurant space so it's going to be uh, very interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years clearly we are anticipating a lot of change uh, which we, we're always anticipating or excited about because that's what makes our industry so much fun is that it's never static, it's never the same, it's constantly evolving and adapting. Um, and so we certainly forecast and see a lot of change in the near future. Uh, so on that note, I'm going to turn it over to Jen Gregory, and Jen is going to talk about uh, small business support. Thanks so much, Scott. Um, and you know, I'm going to echo a little bit what Scott said about real estate and how that is being trickled down into the municipal space. Um, but first, we want to kind of look at what does COVID mean for small businesses? We've heard so much about the Paycheck Protection Program and how small businesses are suffering, but we're going to dig in just a little bit and see just how they're being affected. And then we'll take a look at community strategies that you guys as community leaders can implement to really help your businesses and maximize the public space that you have. We'll look at techniques for placemaking and why inviting the community back into your downtown and into your parks and your common space is more important now than ever in a safe way. And lastly, backfilling vacancies, what the this effect uh, to small businesses will mean for your real estate and what you can do um, to really encourage people to come back downtown, back to your um, commercial areas within your community and encourage them um, to feel confident again and to spend money. So the National Main Street Association did a survey of about 
30 million small businesses across the country, and the results are staggering. Um, projected that nearly 7.5 million small businesses may be at risk of closing permanently um, over the next four months, and that 3.5 million are at risk of closure in the next 30 days. Um, when asked what um, the greatest effect of COVID has been for their business, it's no surprise that loss of revenue, voluntary or mandatory business closure, and event cancellations are the biggest effects of COVID. So simply just the ability, um, or the inability rather, to engage with their customers, to open their doors, um, and to sell goods and services. Additionally, when looking at who owns these small businesses within our communities, um, we learned that about 75% of those are locally owned, which means that our neighbors, um, residents of our communities are the ones that are owning and operating those businesses. Um, many of them are women owned, and there's been a lot of um, studies and research in the media that has come out that has shown that women are really taking a hard hit as it relates to COVID, not only because many are business owners now, but also um, they're raising families by and large and, and are having to quit their jobs so that they can be at home with their children. Um, so it presents an especially um, you know, vulnerable risk for communities when there are so many of these businesses that are locally owned and that 60% of them are leased rather than owned. So not only is that business owner you know, struggling and, and at risk of closing their store, but additionally, that property owner who leases that real estate is also at risk of having a vacancy. Over 60% of small businesses nationwide did not have an online sales component prior to COVID-19. And I think if we all think about our favorite businesses, um, restaurants, retailers within our own towns, especially um, those of us that live in more rural communities, we can relate to that, that these are great places that we all visit frequently, but they are not known to have a robust online presence. And prior to COVID, there really was no way to shop with them online. Of those that did have an online sales component prior to COVID, over 30% of their revenue was generated online. So those are the businesses that have really been able to stay the course, keep their doors open, and probably are at less of a risk of closing. Um, so this presents a huge opportunity. Businesses that have decided to stay open or are trying to stay open need to be working now to get online because going forward, it's likely going to be a mandatory way of reaching customers um, is not only in the brick and mortar space, but certainly online as well. So what can all of you do? You know, I, we get that question here at Retail Strategy so often from mayors and city managers, chamber leaders, economic development directors, you know, what can I do to help my small businesses? We've seen strategies like gift card uh, campaigns and, um, you know, we've seen people um, really implement curbside pickup and things just in makeshift ways to try to reach their customers. But we see that this is likely going to be um, more of a long-term situation. And so in this picture on your screen, you can see kind of a model of what communities can do to repurpose the public space. It really goes along with what Scott was saying um, in the previous section. But digging down a little bit deeper, you can see um, that there are marked off pedestrian lanes. 
Um, there are marked off areas um, to enter stores and there's marked off areas to exit your vehicle. So similar to what we've seen in some big box stores where um, the patterns of, of foot traffic have been marked out. Um, this is something that you can do purchasing these hand sanitation centers and maybe even hand washing stations um, just to try to really um, support uh, these methods that we all know we need to be doing are, are critically important. But looking out into the public space, we see that this is really a parklet. Um, this area right here where this woman is sitting um, it was previously a, a lane of traffic or parallel parking spaces. So while traffic and parking is at less of a demand in some of our downtown areas um, or even your city centers, really repurposing some of that parallel parking area for a makeshift parklet or an outdoor dining space. You can see that there are the shields um, that are above. There is the, this ability to sit outside and enjoy your favorite restaurants, whereas in most of our downtowns, these restaurants that we've come to love don't have outdoor dining space. Um, so the city investing in this really helps. Additionally, um, having direct areas for people to park for curbside pickup, um, and additionally, further along, you can see just some outdoor cafe tables. So just reimagining the public space, using what you have in a temporary fashion. You know, a lot of these are fashioned on street decks. So we're not talking about pouring concrete and, and completely redoing your streetscape, but rather just reimagining what it can be to bring back consumer confidence. Um, and just being flexible. Additionally, as Scott mentioned, relaxing permitting um, and, and just being a little bit more nimble to allow businesses to succeed um, is certainly something that city leaders can do. Second of all, placemaking. You know, we know that all of us, we're, we're tired of being inside, we're ready to reconnect with our neighbors and our communities. Um, and what better place to do that than in the public centers, our town centers and in our downtowns. Um, these are some examples of placemaking techniques where, again, um, public space has been reimagined, but in a way that people can safely uh, reacquaint with their downtown or their city center, but also with their, their neighbors and their community. You can see in this picture, this is actually an alley where uh, when we think of most of our alleyways, they're, they're unsightly, they might be filled with gravel, maybe used for trash collection. Um, but cleaning those up with public art, with lighting, and with outdoor seating is a great way to spread people out, but still allow that public interaction and also the an ability for people to take that public interaction and put it on their social media. So we see this Instagram wall right here where um, when people are enjoying that space, they'll take a picture of themselves, share it on their social platforms, which again instills consumer confidence. We've seen striping crosswalks in a more um, art-filled way, uh, implementing outdoor lighting, and facade improvement programs. Now is definitely not the time to hold back on your beautification efforts. Obviously, many of the communities that are tuned in today are projecting budget shortfalls, um, and certainly every dollar counts, but now is really the time to invest in the built environment to help those small businesses to bring people back downtown. And lastly, uh, backfilling vacancies. You know, as Lacey mentioned at the beginning of this webinar, we are expecting there to be closures. Businesses are going to close, properties are going to be vacant. So what can you do um, as a community leader to really help 
manage that? Well, the first is to think about retail in more of a creative aspect, more micro retail. So whereas a space, a main street frontage, for example, um, a, a parcel may be 3,000 square feet, that's too much square footage for a retailer today, um, an entrepreneur to really bite off. So reimagining that space, maybe subdividing just the front uh, frontage parcel, so 1,000 square feet for retail, and then repurposing the back 2,000 square feet for office space or for storage. Um, so just rethinking the footprint of our real estate is really important and maximizing that Main Street frontage. Additionally, you know, we love seeing pop-ups and we talk a lot about pop-ups and creative containers throughout communities like shipping containers or um, even Katrina cottages on, on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. But now with vacancies within our Main Street infrastructure, it's really important to start giving these entrepreneurs that we may have in our communities a space to pop up within our Main Street um, real estate. And so really giving the impression that Main Street's not dead, that there is opportunity here, creating seasons of pop-ups where perhaps uh, property owners would lease their building for two months in June and July to let that entrepreneur test the market, see if they can make a go at it, um, and again, filling up that, that property that may be vacant or may be becoming vacant. And lastly, messaging and branding. You know, that's really what city leaders can control. And rather than having buildings with for lease signs and for rent signs and for sale signs, you know, putting up a branded poster showing, hey, there's opportunity here. Rather than this building is vacant, there's an opportunity here. Together, we're stronger. So really controlling the message. Um, so that when those entrepreneurs or those investors, developers are looking for opportunity, they don't see a dead main street, a dead downtown, um, but rather one filled with opportunity. Um, so that was just a brief look at how community leaders can really support their small businesses within municipalities. Um, and now I'm going to send it back over to Lacey for a conference outlook. Thank you, Jen. That was a great overview to both you and Scott uh, at looking at the real estate and the small businesses. And, and it goes back to the theme of this whole webinar is about innovation, thinking about the future and how do you incorporate changes that ensure consumer confidence, make people feel safe and comfortable. Uh, so what we're seeing on conferences is as I mentioned in the beginning, you know, normally we'd be at Recon right now. Obviously, that's not our current reality. So uh, a couple things to look at is on our conference outlook, there are still some events that are currently on schedule and planned for the fall and the winter. So wanted to highlight those and then give you some more immediate options as well. Uh, Retail Live, Stacey Mooney, just absolutely applaud what she does for commercial real estate and, and retail and giving us access to these retail brands. She has a fantastic conference, typically in Orlando and Austin. She's done one in Scottsdale and in Chicago, all over the country, but these are retailer booths and it's kind of like speed dating. Well, the one in Orlando, unfortunately, was canceled, but she does have one coming up in, um, in Austin on September 3rd called the South Central. It'll be downtown Austin and as as of today, that is still currently scheduled and planned. But in lieu of that, meanwhile, every Friday, she does these fantastic webinars, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where she interviews the real estate managers, real estate directors, the 
the franchisee developers, and it's, it's just an awesome way for you to gain access to these individuals that you might not otherwise have access to. So there's one coming up this Friday. So I encourage you to go to Retail Live USA on Instagram or just retaillive.com. There's all the social media feeds right there. Follow Stacey Mooney and participate in these uh, Friday webinars with her. And then if you can and you feel comfortable and things are as planned, continue to monitor uh, this September 3rd event and the access to potentially uh, attend that. We will be there at Retail Strategies. We are a platinum sponsor of Retail Live, big supporter of that network. And then we also have ICFD, International Council of Shopping Centers, as you know. So these are the events that are currently still on schedule and planning to happen. So the first one will be the Florida Conference in August, Chicago Deal Making. There'll be the Western Conference and the Southeast Conference, and then obviously the New York Deal Making. So as of today, these are still scheduled and planned. I'm actually chairing the Southeastern Conference in October in Atlanta. So Feel free to uh, send me any messages if you have any questions about that. But we're looking at creative ways, and I, obviously ICFC is doing everything they can to add value to their membership, keep them safe and comfortable, so continuing to monitor these. But meanwhile, what ICFC has done is ICFC's virtual community. So uh, go ahead and Google that, pull that up. You may have received it. If you're a member of ICFC, receive that in the email. If you're not a member, Highly encourage it. It's only $100 a year for the public sector, substantial discount for municipalities, and you have a vast variety of resources and network there. Now, Retail Strategies, we have a vast variety of resources and network as well. So happy to talk to you in more detail about our solutions. As community leaders, you are navigating unprecedented times right now, and there's a lot of difficulty. Your plate is completely full with everything that you're dealing with with the community. We still understand how important retail is. It's one of the hardest hits of all the industries right now. This is something where you can outsource retail to retail strategies, and we have a variety of different avenues to fulfill your needs so that you can ensure for your future budget that your retail base remains vibrant and strong. So we have Retail Academy, where we put together a retail recruitment plan for you, and we train you on implementation so you have that really targeted list of prospects. You have a really good clue on the real estate that we advise and say, this is good real estate, this is why, and here are the retail prospects that match up with that, and here's who you call, and here's what you say. So that is Retail Academy, where we train you on the plan that we create for you. Downtown Strategies, Jen Gregory is the president of that, and obviously got just a light sampling of the wealth of knowledge she has and the value she can bring to a community and really identifying placemaking at short-term goals, short-term goals that are really minimal to no investment, all the way to long-term goals and what you can do to really stabilize your downtown with the real estate and the businesses that go into that. That's what Jen Gregory runs out. We can help you with that as a solution. And then we also have our retail recruitment where we develop a plan for you and we work with you to implement that plan. So we have a large team of people based out of Birmingham, but we're in 36 states. We're all over the country. And what we do with our team is we really have a heavy investment in people and HR because we know it goes far beyond just data. It takes that relationship building and the access we have with the relationships we've built 
to implement that plan, and that's our recruitment services. So a um, little bit different investment schedule with the recruitment, but if that's something you want to outsource to us as an extension of your economic development department, we can do that for you. And the whole goal here, we just want to help. We want to be a part of building communities. This is what we're really good at. This is our lane. And by outsourcing these services, to retail strategies or companies like us, what you're able to do is really focus on all those other big issues that you are working on tackling right now. We believe that retail recruitment and outsourced partners in this space is more important now than it's ever been. It's always been important. We've always been big believers in it. But right now, during unprecedented times, during market disruption, you really need somebody who's living and breathing it every day to help you stabilize your future and your businesses. So retail strategies is more than happy to help with a wealth of information we have with our data. We have several free resources. We have paid services as well. And you will be hearing from our business development team somewhere around the week of June 1st. What we're going to deliver to you is your retail starter kit. It's going to involve a gap analysis and that will be for your retail categories to focus on for growth specific to your community you will also get a downtown walkability study and a score that will come from jen gregory so we can talk about the national that is a part of that gap analysis those big brands that you want to focus on national and regional retailers and then walkability will be really about your downtown and the character of your community through those local businesses and stabilizing those so any questions before then, please feel free to reach out to any of us. I, again, I'm Lacey Beasley. You've, you've heard from all of our panelists today, and then we have an entire team of business developers that uh, work with different states across the country. So we just want to help. We know that we want to lock arms. We want to uh, improve everything that we can do before we're thinking, stay positive in a world where it's so easy to get bogged down in negative news. This is our reality. Let's set up a plan. Let's work towards our future. And thank you all so, so much for tuning in today, participating in the Retail Strategies webinar. And we have several partner communities that participated today, and we just want to thank you. Thank you for being partners with Retail Strategies. Thank you for the way you make us better as a company with so many great examples of innovation within our partner communities that we've loved sharing with people. So it's just a, a way of sharing and improving across the board, and we're so happy to be a part of that as we navigate these rocky waters. So thank you all so much. Feel free to reach out to us. You will be receiving a recording of today's webinar and the deck, and then hearing individually from our business development team afterwards. So everybody stay safe. Stay strong. Remember the Charles Darwin quote about you have to adapt to change to survive, and that's what we're in the middle of doing and working with you. So thank you all. Have a great afternoon, and we'll stay tuned as we continue to have additional webinars to educate you. Let us know. What, what do you want to hear about? We have a vast network of people, and we want to give you the information that matters to you. So thank you all. Have a great day, and until next time.